coming soon from Geppetto Studios. Mike Watson, Jarf, and Alice Lauren provide commentary for Avengers Endgame. Please, Kevin Hart wishes he was on this podcast. Listen while you watch. It'll remind you what it's like to have friends. Sully from Locked on MLB talks baseball movies. Nine women can't make a baby in a month. Author Tim Burdick talks the movies of James Gunn. I'm already doing Skype lessons with my privates. Cracked.com's Isaac K. talks Tiger King. Find somebody who's got tigers or lions or something, and then we can go from there. Actress Carrie Flanagan talks about what every young performer should know. Do you remember everything you said? And Brad talks. He got me pregnant. And talks. Nailing your wife. And talks. My pants are starting to feel a little tighter. It's like, oh, this ain't great. You know how he is. The Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. They were socially distant before it was a government mandate. Growler Media presents Joe vs. the Minute. Welcome back to Joe vs. the Minute, where we're taking you to the volcano one minute at a time. I'm Jarf, and with me on the newly relocated American Panoscope Studios coming to you at from... <laughs> at sea, it's tyranny. Oh, it rhymes! I love it! I realize we did not give you Wednesday wisdom, but my Wednesday wisdom is that Fridays are hard. <laughs> it's the end of the week. I am very excited to be here. I am Tierney Steele, and we are joined once more by James Whitney. Hello again. James Whitney at sea. All I'm doing is rhyming <laughs> today. <laughs> With Jeffrey. <laughs> We're not going to talk in rhyme, although peek behind the curtain, we were just talking about how great The Princess Bride is. So everyone enjoy having anybody want a peanut stuck in your head all weekend. (laughs) We were talking about how great The Princess Bride is. And we also went down the rabbit hole earlier this week. So I, I just want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to Batwoman and specifically the villain on Batwoman, Alice is doing a phenomenal job. Batwoman makes me so happy. We are discussing the television show, Batwoman. And if you're not familiar with the the show, the villain Alice speaks in rhyme. So hence my non sequitur. I got, I got your back. I just, when you said Batwoman, I'm like, I mean, hey, I'll always give a shout out to Batwoman, but like, where are we going with this? And then you said Alice. I'm like, right, 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 right. I got it. <laughs> Believe it or not, we do have a focus for today. <laughs> today, we've asked James to rejoin us one more time to talk about Minute 60. Holy crap, guys. The hour mark. And what a minute it is to celebrate the hour. This is the minute that begins with Patricia confessing to the... I I need to really work on my phrasing. Patricia talking to Joe in the dark. She's talking about how she loves her father, even though, yeah, uh, she loves her sister, even though she knows she screwed up. Again, I did not word these well. It ends with Patricia explaining her earlier behavior. I'm so glad we're out of the innuendo territory, but this whole minute is basically, it's confessional time, like we were saying on Wednesday. Confessional time, and like I teased on Wednesday, Meg Ryan's acting here is superb. 
I was especially noticing all the changes in her facial expression and her eyes as she is searching for the words uh, to talk about her complicated relationship with her father. So she says, but it's more than that. And then she pauses, she inhales, she looks upward, which I understand I think from therapy, maybe when people look upward, it's when, when they're looking inward and thinking. And so you can really just see she's searching for the words or maybe the courage to say them. And then she says, I've always kept clear of my father's stuff. And then once she gets going, she starts talking faster and faster. And But then she gets to this place where she stumbles over the words, I feel ashamed because I had a price. And so there's just... It's only a couple of lines and probably a little bit of stage direction that this is something that is difficult for her to say. And Meg Ryan just does so much for with it. Yeah, I said in the last minute that that was uh, peak Meg Ryan, but I actually meant that this minute was, in fact, <laughs> peak, peak Meg Ryan. And you will never be able to convince me that she does any better in any movie than in this one movie. That's really the majesty of her performance, because you think that you've reached the peak, and then you look over the crest and you realize there's actually a little bit more peak that you haven't quite ascended. I, I went with that metaphor all the way. The Everest of Meg Ryan. <laughs> I think this is phenomenal. I'm trying to remember if this is the minute where literally all like the whole minute is on her face. There's a couple times where they like flip back so you get to see Joe lying in bed listening to her talk, but he's not doing anything. I mean, I, I've called out how great Tom Hanks is in this movie. I don't think it is unfair to say that he is set decoration for this scene. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was doing all this speculation. Why is he unimpressed? And why is he not giving her anything as she's trying to share? And I think there isn't a reason from his character perspective. It's just, it's in service of the story that she has to get there herself. So his his direction is to be neutral. He's given a book, so he has something to do. And I also think it's fair that he just lets her run with it. You know, maybe we should give him the little bit of credit. Maybe he sees that she is struggling to get something out. And like you said, lets her get there herself. Maybe he's realized he does not have the words to help a Grainamore sister doing some inward searching. And he just lets her, he lets her run with it. And it goes to a really beautiful place. I wonder how many actresses use this as their monologue. I was thinking that too. Oh my goodness. Because there's no interaction with him, so you could do it. Yeah, you could totally do it. It's an amazing minute because what you ha what happens is that before this minute, what we know of Meg Ryan, or not Meg Ryan, Patricia Granimore, is she's a lot like Frank Watari in that she's just obnoxious. She does what she wants. She, you know, dips her pinky in wine and does all that, that, uh, that sort of thing. And in this one minute, we have to turn her from that character, that person who acts so snotty and bratty, to someone that not only Joe, but that we can fall in love with. And it works. I think they do a great job of you completely buy that this is why that character was acting snotty and bratty. Mm -hmm. She has turned a corner and realized, and, and I love that it ends with her saying, and it doesn't make me feel any better. That is still a very self-serving reason to... <laughs> 
be a better person. But I think that's what you do on the way to enlightenment sort of thing. <laughs> like, the point is to first recognize that you're doing it and why. And, and going back to Joe, what Joe's doing or rather not doing in this minute is that just looking back at the characters that he's met, that the, these people, they have their walls up and then they let them down. This is obviously Patricia letting her wall down and saying, uh, being vulnerable and saying, hey, Joe, care about me. When Dee Dee did it and then he started, he says, okay, I'm dying. And then wham, the wall goes back up. Marshall did it. And then he says, hey, come to dinner, come to me, dinner with me that night. And boom, it goes right back up. And Angelica, you know, she starts talking about how, you know, she wants to kill herself. And Joe's like, no, no, why would you do that? Boom, wall goes right back up. And here it is, you know, he's just letting it happen and letting her drop that wall so that he can, I think he realizes at that point that that's how you get to a better understanding. Or he's scared himself. Could be. If I don't interact with her, she won't hurt me. You know, like all, mm-hmm. all I, I am hearing her out. I am listening to what she's saying. I am understanding, you know, this is her answering his question from earlier. I would like to think that he recognizes that. But maybe there is that part of it of, look, I've been down this path before. It's not worth opening back up to her in reciprocation. Just let her say what she's going to say. Yeah, I agree with that. And then just it all works out. I have to imagine that what she says about her having a price, and now she knows that about herself, resonates with him based on what he said about selling his soul for that lousy job, all those years that he wasted at the medical library. So... Obviously, that parallel is not coincidental. Well, and Joe had a price. Uh, It was what? The Discover card? The Diners Club card? I mean, he knows exactly what it's like for Grainamore to know exactly what to give you to get you to do what he wants. Now, Joe doesn't feel like he had a better option. You know, he kind of did it because it was the best of the options on the table. Right. So he's not feeling about that the same way that Patricia does. But on some level, when she says, my father knew I had a price and named it. Well, he had a price too for his life. I mean, that... I do think that 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 is something that we can see about Joe and that we can see, um, you know, we can see that he had, Joe had a price and Grainamore named it and maybe he knows that about himself, but I don't think he wants to know it about himself. I think at this point, I think for the, you know, for the better part of the rest of the movie, he's thinking himself as himself as, of a, as the hero of the Waponi people. He doesn't view it as a transaction between him and Grainamore. Grainamore is irrelevant there. That he's just thinking, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to go out. This is how I'm going to end my life. I'm going to do something heroic. It's something that I think he really should think about. And it's something that the movie hammers in and tries to hammer into him is that he should consider that. But I don't think he does. I wonder if it helps later in the movie that he did have this, that she did say this at this point. Like maybe it's stuck in his noodle a little bit. And again, I would like to point out that all of this went whoosh when I was a kid, but I would like to think that it has been useful growing up knowing these lessons. That it's funny when I was doing my note, like watching this minute before we started in the notes, this is one of those minutes, this is one of those situations that as a kid, you realize horribly or amusingly, oh, 
grown-ups don't always know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden it occurs to you that perhaps sometimes grown-ups make decisions and do things that maybe they regret or think they did for the wrong reasons or worry that they shouldn't have done. And it's like, oh, okay. I just reread Danny the Champion of the World uh, by Roald Dahl. And there's this thing where he's like, there comes a point where you realize like, oh, every grown-up has something, like, he says a deep, dark secret, but it's more like, it's like everyone, even your parents. <laughs> like This idea that the big lie is that grown-ups know what they're doing. Yes, kids, we have no idea what we're doing either. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Hollywood has never exactly been one to hammer, you know, even though they're grown-ups, there's a magic, you know... For the purposes of storytelling, many people in movies act younger than their contemporaries out in the real world. I'm saying this very inarticulately, but I hope it's coming across what I'm saying. But you expect to see grownups making mistakes in movies sometimes because that's how movies go. But to see an adult, especially that you look up to, say, I don't like this about myself. I don't like that I did this. Also, the fact that she also brings it back to the story of the movie where she's like, I'm just very nervous about this trip. You're not telling me anything. <laughs> and I love that, again, she has known this guy less than a day. And she's like, you know how I was snobby to you? Mm, that was all an act because I was incredibly insecure. I mean, she obviously doesn't say that, but that's what she's saying. Yes. That is, that is what she's saying. And, uh, you know, it's it's her. They love each other. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> It's her, it's her opening up to him. I, I think, you know, first, when you're asked a question, she's asked the question, she lies about it, and then she figures out whether she can tell the truth. And now she's telling the truth. That truth is painful to her. And it's, it's obviously, there's something going on between Patricia and her father. And it doesn't seem like this is an isolated incident. I think you, you have to believe that Patricia has been asked to do things by her father for something, and and he's named some prices before, and he hasn't been successful. But now he he was successful, and now she knows that she's under his thumb. Her she's not liking her future that way. I would totally watch a prequel that is how Patricia got got clear of her father's stuff as she puts it. And yeah. then she refers to having been out on her own. I'd love to know what she does. I, yeah. I have no idea. We get no background on her. She just <laughs> appears on this boat. It's crazy. Every saga has a beginning. Joe versus the Volcano 2, Patricia's story. I'm thinking more of the Phantom Grainamore. <laughs> you would be. <laughs> <laughs> I would be. So all of this discussion is making me realize that what what we're reaping the benefit of in these scenes in particular is the fact that Shanley not only wrote but directed this movie. Because I can imagine in another director's hand not keeping these scenes centered as they are on the interior psychological journey of the characters and going for something a little bit more pat like oh they're stuck on this boat together and they hate each other at first and then they fall in love wacky hijinks because i think it really it's it's really a choice 
And it's not a big surprise that Shanley has mostly written and directed for the stage because these are kind of stagey minutes. Like All of it is told through monologues, long shot on Patricia as she's sharing her feelings. But it because it's so well written and so well performed, it really works. In that movie you were describing, all I could think is, oh, in that movie, the stateroom line is a come on. <laughs> <laughs> I like movies like this that combine the best of, like you were saying, the stage aspects while taking advantage of movies. Because you can do a scene that is 99% a close-up on an actor's face. But you're right, the the feel of this scene does feel like it comes out of a play. I could see that. And I, I think the best films are the ones that take the heritage of stage writing and just, like I said, take advantage of the ability to get in close. And, and do the lighting like that. It's exactly. It's terrific exactly. Writing, lighting. How did you, both of you, feel about the music in this scene? Because we get more of Delarue's score, specifically the track in this scene, if I'm lining up right, is Pat Tells Joe. Not a great title for the song, but okay. <laughs> He's not very good at naming songs. <laughs> no, he really hasn't. No. Maybe it loses something in the translation because he he is French. And so, I don't know. I'm being as generous as I can be. But regardless, because this music is so beautiful and moving and I guess you could say traditional, there's another version of this that maybe it feels a little cheesy you start to talk about your feelings, and then the sensitive music starts to play. But I don't know about y'all, but there's nothing that feels cheesy about this to me. I'm a bad Movies by Minute podcaster. I couldn't tell you what music was playing in this scene if you paid me. I think the music is one of the things that I noticed, is, uh, especially as the minute was ending, was how it was building to the uh, the romantic theme of the movie. It was building to the why is my heart marooned without you. And it just, I, I think it just reinforces the notion that here's, you know, here's Patricia. She's being wonderful. Here, she's being vulnerable. Here's someone who... Even though you know her, you saw her as snotty before, well, now it's time you have to love, fall in love with her. You just yeah. have to. Here's why she was acting like that. <laughs> yeah. Now you understand. It's a defense mechanism. We all employ them. We, we talked it out, and now we just realize we're Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and we're in love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James, let me ask you a question. Because this this is one of my grievances. So you you mentioned the love theme. What is your preference? Love theme instrumental or love theme with lyrics? Oh, that's a tough question. Usually, I think I respond better to just the instrumental. Same. Absolute hard same. I've never paid super close attention to the lyrics like I did when we covered them last week or the week before. And I realized it and I... I, That he hates them. (laughs) (laughs) I realized that I hate them. And what it reminded me of, so basically this is a bone I had to pick with Tyranny one week or more ago, and I forgot to do it, so I'm bringing it up now, damn it, is because she had me as a guest on her other podcast, MASH Minute, which is not about the TV show, it's about the movie. I had to learn that there are lyrics to the MASH theme song 
what, why, and now I can't erase that knowledge from my mind. Oh, goodness. Maybe this is why the lyrics don't bother me. Maybe I'm just used to songs with crazy lyrics. Yes, that must be it. Yes, it, it, it inoculated you. So. <laughs> I don't feel it anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just kidding. Obviously, I had a blast being on MASH Minute. So yeah, so it's another vote for... Maybe that's something we'll have to keep track of as the show goes along. I, I, like I bet out, there's someone out there that's a fan of these lyrics. Who Maybe there's someone who got a tattoo with some of the lyrics. You never know. I, I, I like the lyrics. I just think you know, the instrumental is a little better. Yeah, there's a, there's nothing to distract from it, and you can just kind of get lost in that, that music box beauty. I got no beef either way. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got to take the turn being the peacemaker on the podcast. We've come to blows over Garfield and Heathcliff. <laughs> oh, boy. It's okay. We're all friends now. So it's which okay. Was We're it? all friends. We are united in, our, in love of 80s orange cats. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Our differences are more, or our similarities are more important than our differences. <laughs> what unites us is stronger than what divides us. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm obviously out of notes for this minute. If I <laughs> looped us back to uh, Heathcliff well, and Garfield. I think I might know the answer based on a little bit of convo in the green room but on fridays it's when we ask our guest what their favorite fairy tale is in any medium so james it's fairy tale friday it and it's is. time to to open up that book and tell us what's inside well i have three answers to this and i hope you'll indulge me with them that's not really how favorite works but okay we had well, one Three episodes. It works. <laughs> it's, it's three answers. It's uh, not not because they're my favorite, but because um, they're significant. There was one um, I remember back in you know the early 18th century when uh, I was a kid. <laughs> I was reading a book of uh, Grimm's fairy tales, and I remember a, a fairy tale. And I didn't. I I did not know what it was. I have no memory of what it was called, but it was a soldier who, uh, because of a spell, falls in love with the princess who is meant to marry the king that he served. I think it's called Faithful John, but looking at it, it's it, the 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 tale I remember does not match up with the version on the internet. But anyway, it was something that haunted me for quite a while because of the notion that love and service didn't conquer all, uh, and it wasn't fair, which. I guess leads to uh, the green room conversation in which, you know, the Princess Bride is, of course, one of my favorite fairy tales. So that's that would be answer number two. But for uh, my actual favorite fairy tale, um, I have to go with uh, Kitty's fairy tale in Young Canning X-Men number 153. That was after nice. a... It was, uh, you know, it's a comic book. It was after this big arc, universe-changing arc of story having to do with Dark Phoenix and everything was just so serious. And then all of a sudden, blam, there's this issue that was just so wonderfully whimsical and silly that I, I just loved it so much. So I'll have to go with that one. I think that's our first X-Men reference on these. So. <laughs> I think it is our first X-Men reference. And yeah, I love Kitty's fairy tale too. It, it's, it was really fun seeing the different characters through her eyes. 
they really played a lot with the art and and got really wild with the character design because it's you know like Wolverine is Wolverine to us, but but from Kitty's perspective, it, it, he's so much more exaggerated, but then also a, a little bit comic. So yeah, that's that's a great shout out. I just love the Bamps. Right? <laughs> yes, the Bamps. Nice. Tierney, has anyone else said The Princess Bride? I know that obviously we've had Jonathan from The Princess Bride Minute on say, a I couple know it of has times. Come up in conversation. But I think he pushed himself to think of something else as his fairy tale Friday. I think so. Yeah, I think everyone who has mentioned it, like you, has had alternate answers as well. Mm hmm. But it's come up several times. It's like you were saying, I think Joe versus Volcano and the Princess Bride, in addition to being of the same era film wise, are also kind of kindred spirits. That Venn diagram has a big overlap. Yeah, it definitely does. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. This whole week has been fantastic and it's really nice to have a new guest who who just who wants to contribute to the conversation and have some laughs and not be a troublemaker on the podcast cough george (laughs) and liz cough well it's uh, it's my first podcast i would never do another one if i we we love all our guests but also oh my god welcome to podcasting james thank you tierney You'll receive your own show to produce within a year. <laughs> that seems to be how it works, right? Welcome to podcasting. We hope you survive the experience. <laughs> well, most of my favorite movies are already taken, but if anyone wants to do Say Anything Minute, there's, you know, there's an Oh, that's a good one. I have to admit, I did not see Say Anything until, gosh, probably only a few years ago when I realized like, I knew the pop culture Mm-hmm. reference but had never actually seen the film <laughs> you know, i uh i view myself as a contemporary to john cusack so i i really enjoyed a lot of his movies that were you know the the teenage rom-com type movies uh, but say anything is obviously the best of them yeah say anything is excellent yeah you i, I mean i think that you should think about it doing okay. movies by minute podcasts are super fun you guys seem like you have a lot of fun we do always And listeners, we will be back next week to have even more fun. And we will be talking about minutes 61 to 63. And James, do you want to remind our listeners one more time where they can find you on the internet? Sure. On uh, Twitter or Instagram, it's Absurdly James. And my uh, website where um, you'll find that I'm a writer, much like Angelica is a painter or a poet, is at uh, kazerak.com. That's K-A-S-E-R-A-A-K.com. My books are there. So there you go. And you can find my imposter syndrome at onesteelsister.com, where I also am a writer. With, you're, you're farther along than me. I haven't actually published my books yet. But I think, I don't know, I don't want to relitigate the quality of Angelica's poem again. So I will just say <laughs> that, yes, we're all awesome. Check it all out. <laughs> and I feel left out, but you can follow me on Instagram at Jarf Harden or on Twitter at Inspector Flora. I really have- I love that. It makes me so happy every time it pops up on Twitter. 
Well, thank you. And shout out to Five Minutes of Mystery, um, where I came up with the handle. At least it was that and not your handle from the Fast and the Furious movies by minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I do not want to know the followers I would attract if I was at Sex Positive Jarf. I really just don't... (laughs) So luckily, <laughs> luckily that didn't happen. <laughs> but thanks again uh, for listening to Joe versus the Minute. We will be back next week. And now it's time to climb aboard the luggage raft and head out into the sea. So tell me, Tierney, my friend, what should our destination be? Therapy for everyone, of course. <laughs> Therapy for everyone. <laughs> now I don't know. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.